Welcome to another episode of the Journey Podcast. The Journey Podcast is all about sharing the journeys of purpose-driven individuals from all walks of life who are following their passion and fulfilling their purpose in their own unique way. And I'm your host, Risa Kawamoto. In today's episode, I'm having a conversation with Rohini Bajeko, a nutritionist and board certified lifestyle medicine professional. I discovered Rohini back in 2020 when I was searching for a plant based nutritionist. This was after my partner and I had decided to become vegan, and we wanted to get some nutrition advice to ensure our diet was fully balanced. We had a series of consultations with her and I really loved her holistic approach and I've been following her on Instagram ever since. In her spare time, Rohini volunteers as a cookery teacher at Made in Hackney, the UK's only plant-based cookery school and charity. She also leads communications at Plant-Based Health Professionals UK and she is part of the Dietitian and Nutritionist Advisory Committee at Diet ID. She also co-authored Living PCOS Free, How to Regain Your Hormonal Health with Polycystic Ovary Syndrome with her mother, Dr. Nitu Bajeko. And she also wrote the chapter on lifestyle medicine for the book, How to Go Plant-Based, A Definitive Guide for You and Your Family by Ella Mills, founder of Deliciously Ella. In our conversation, you'll hear how her love of food started as a child and how and why she became vegan at the age of 12. Then after exploring other careers, why she decided to study nutrition and food sciences to become a nutritionist. You'll hear her passion for plant-based nutrition through her voice and story, and I hope you'll find her journey inspiring. Hi Rohini, welcome to the Journey Podcast. I'm so excited to have you today and I can't wait to hear your journey. But firstly, I'd like to just check in with you and see how you're feeling today and also where in the world you're joining from as well. Oh, thank you so much, Risa. I'm so excited to be here. I'm joining from London, my flat in London. I live here, been living here for the past four years, but I also grew up here after some time and spent some time away in my 20s and um, and things. And yeah, I'm feeling okay. I'm in my luteal phase. So for anyone who menstruates, that, that often can be coupled with some anxiety, some fatigue. So I'm really trying to be kind to myself, listen to my body and carve out a bit of time for rest in my working day so yeah I have um a bit of yoga scheduled after this podcast (laughs) Uh, nice nice yes um yeah I think my period is also coming up so I'm feeling quite tired and yeah um I'm standing at the moment so I can be (laughs) I can have more energy but um yeah so excited um to hear your journey so if it's okay with you. I would love for you to share a little bit about your background and also anything you like to share about growing up and also your early years. 
Thanks, Risa. So yeah, so for those of you who don't know me, I'm Rohini. I'm a nutritionist and also board certified in lifestyle medicine professional. And that's my full-time work. So um, I do various things in a nutrition-related capacity where even the projects that I do are working with other organizations and also have my own practice where I see clients one-to-one. Um, but it, I wasn't always doing this job. It started off quite differently. I was born in India and my parents were both surgeons. At that time, they were still in training and they moved to the UK when I was a few years old, when my sister was born, we moved to Dumfries and it was a real um, shock to the system because it was really cold. There was no family around and they were immigrant doctors in a new country and they came for a bit of an adventure for a couple of years and ended up staying for over 30 years. So, and they're still here. So um, it just shows you sometimes an adventure can end up taking you in a totally different direction. Um, and so it was a really, really kind of busy childhood we moved around a lot I moved around about 12 or 13 times by the time I was a teenager because my parents would get different jobs in different places and it meant that I saw lots of different sides of the UK Uh, we eventually settled in just outside North London and in in my childhood I I've always really loved food I've always really really been passionate about food and I come from a family where were also very passionate about cooking and eating and my mother's an amazing cook and so is my father so when we were growing up we definitely ate quite a lot of Indian food and that was a way to kind of connect us to our to the culture and it was also simple hearty and affordable which was so important because as junior doctors my parents didn't really have the time to be cooking every every single day from scratch so they would often batch cook things and we we generally ate quite healthy food and so it that's probably where my interest in food really began when I look back at my childhood it's those memories and so many of our most wonderful memories are wrapped up with memories of food as well oh that's lovely I love food as well so I can completely relate so how did you start cooking did you start from young age as well I would love to say that I did, but that would be a complete lie. I was incredibly spoiled and didn't really do chip in with much housework. And my mother and father both sport us a little bit that way. Um, but I definitely did some tasting and we never missed a meal. My mum would always get really upset the fact that whenever we'd argue with her, we'd always still be there and sometimes we'd eat twice as much. Um, so I, I think that I did more of the eating rather than the cooking. And that actually did set me back a bit because it was when I was 18, I went off to university. I read theology at Oxford. I was very passionate about the arts and I studied theology, um, religious studies and English and history and English literature and things at school. So I was really passionate about those sorts of subjects. When I went off to university, it was only a couple of hours away from home, but obviously there's quite intense periods when you're there. It's eight weeks, quite full on, and uh, is, is one term. And I did have access to a shared kitchen, but I really didn't know how to cook. I would mostly, my cooking consisted of boiling pasta and putting tomato sauce on top. And I'd actually gone vegan at the age of about 12, 13. It's hard to pinpoint exactly when, but my sister was quite a few years younger and she was the one who'd originally kind of decided to go vegetarian at the age of eight because we've got a dog at the time. And she said, 
uh, if I'm not eating a pig, they're cleverer than dogs. And so my parents couldn't really argue with that. And um, so the whole family, we kind of went vegetarian. And then I think she was a few years later, she made that connection between meat and dairy and decided that she didn't want to consume dairy products either. I think her exact phrase was white equals red. And um, which was she was basically meaning saying that you know the dairy industry is connected to the meat industry and she didn't want to be part of that and it was quite an that really shaped a lot of my teenage years to be honest because I was a vegan and this was 20 years ago so it was a completely different world you had to go to a special store to even get soya milk you could not even dream of going to a typical chain restaurant and getting a vegan dessert that you know wasn't an apple or something you just could not get anything I remember when Wagamama only had one vegan option and now they have a whole separate menu I think most of the menu is even plant-based so it was very different and it often people didn't really know what the word was so people thought you were a bit weird a bit hippie a bit strange I would often get teased even at university you know why why are you eating that and um, are you a freegan which they thought meant rummaging in the bin for food and rather than I said no I just I don't want to hurt animals you know I I didn't really know as much about the sustainability aspects then but I had I I really felt sort of uncomfortable in my own skin I think being a woman of color doing a subject that perhaps perhaps historically was more white and male dominated it felt I felt a little bit like I didn't really want to do anything that drew attention to me and I did struggle with my self-esteem as a result. Mm, yes and how did that impact you throughout the university time and through to the kind of early career? Yeah so I think at that age all I cared about was fitting in I found things like dating or even sometimes friendships a little harder I did make some incredible friends and actually my best friend Luke who actually married my husband and I he was a big catalyst in that and um, he used to cook amazing vegan meals for me so we lived together in my second year and he was a like, fabulous cook honestly um, <laughs> and was and would would make really delicious food and that's kind of when I started to get a bit more into cooking and things but it, I never really it never really became something I I was super into until quite a lot later in life and mm. um, but in terms of my yeah my self-esteem I think if I had known how to use food as a tool to nourish myself that would have really helped because instead I really struggled with my diet after leaving home like many university students do I had eaten grown up eating mostly healthy home-cooked food you know mostly fruit vegetables whole grains beans nuts and seeds and because Yes, there was ultra processed vegan food even back then. You know, chips have always been around or bourbon biscuits. It still wasn't maybe as widespread, the vegan junk food scene as it is now. Um, and so I mostly ate a whole food plant-based diet by accident. I didn't really kind of think, oh, I'm eating a whole food plant-based diet. I just happened to eat mostly dal and vegetables and fruit and things. I actually had very healthy teenage years. It was at university when on a smaller budget, being pressed for time, struggling with self-confidence, I would often turn to food as a source of comfort. So I would often turn to things like chips or milkshakes, vegan milkshakes, or, um, you know, just anything that would kind of give me a pick-me-up. I was a bit addicted to sugar, to be honest. I, um, I would rely on, I would get these soya caramel macchiatos from Starbucks, and they were definitely my most expensive luxury as a student, but I honestly would have two or sometimes even three a day and they had so much caramel syrup in them and so much espresso 
and it's it's I was I felt constantly tired so I was relying on that kind of thing and I was also into binge drinking and things because that kind of I was anxious so I felt that if I drank alcohol that would kind of calm my anxiety and numb me a bit but as with so many things that we do in modern day life numbing there's so many different ways that people numb themselves whether it's alcohol or drugs or um you know gambling or just whatever it is there's like different behaviors that we have that are self-destructive it didn't really it always ended up being a more vicious cycle where a few days later I would feel even worse than I did before yes I can completely relate in terms of trying to numb yourself and yeah whether that's drinking or smoking or gambling so thank you so much for sharing your journey so you said you were really passionate about art and you mentioned that you studied theology at university did you enjoy the course at university and how was your university life like and then how did you then start your career? Uh, so I, I didn't enjoy it but honestly I was dealing with mental health issues and what happened what I look back at later realized was that I was going through um, the symptoms of polycystic ovary syndrome I didn't know at that time so PCOS is the most common hormone condition to affect women non-binary people trans people it affects at least one in ten and it's characterized by things like irregular periods struggling with fertility hair loss acne excess hair growth weight gain it's honestly not the greatest thing it's also connected to to other symptoms that can can be also really detrimental from the psychological side like binge eating anxiety depression higher risk of OCD and so I was struggling with really severe anxiety probably the foods I was choosing were also fueling that to an extent and also the lack of sleep that I was getting so it was all of essentially my whole lifestyle was kind of not in, in the best way. And having things like severe cystic acne and losing hair made me really self-conscious. I kind of felt like shrinking away and not really showing up and being present. So I don't think I got the same. If I look back at things, I would I, I wish I had been in a better place to really make the most of everything at university. I did have some amazing times. And I think a lot of people who might know me back then didn't quite know everything that was going on. Just like you know, you realize as you get older, everyone has their own battles and everyone's going through their own things. But it meant that when I left university, I was a little bit lost and I got into the world of corporate public relations, which was very fast paced, very demanding. It was exciting in that you can be quite young and hit the ground running. So I had clients and the big bad world of food business, so things like Heineken and and um, things like that. So bigger clients, and I worked for a, main, a big American firm. Made lots of really great friends and had a great time, but also was into the partying lifestyle in London. Also client events five nights a week. So it was a quite full on time. And again, I would fall into the cycle of having these horrific moments where my PCOS symptoms would become unmanageable. I would be erupting in acne and getting lots of excess hair growth and things that were very stigmatizing and I would spend my money and um, trying to see different health professionals I would go and see a dermatologist for my skin I would go and see uh, a gynecologist for my irregular periods I would go and try and do all of this but no one was really solving the root cause of things and so again that when you're going through something like that and you don't quite know what's wrong with you it can really detract from from other things in your life and your career and everything else it can feel it the small small things can really get on top of you and that's what I found I found that I was in this 
phase by the time I hit 25 I was just felt like I was coasting I wasn't really moving forward in my life I felt a bit stuck like I was going to work going through the motions but I wasn't really living in the way that I wanted to I didn't wasn't really living in alignment with my values I wasn't really feeling energized and motivated and I definitely didn't feel at home in my body I didn't really know what eating healthy was. So at that time I was living by myself in central London or with some other girlfriends. And I really didn't have much balance. I would eat salads and cook food and try to be healthy during the week. I wouldn't really get into dieting and things like that, but I would, you know, just try to like cut down on less alcohol and things. But then by the time Thursday or Friday night came, I'd be binge drinking, eating like uh, a burger on my way back, um, <laughs> a veggie burger, but, you know, still, and, and I'd also really drifted away from my vegan values. So I just fit in when I would go out, I would sometimes eat non-vegan foods, so dairy and things like that, even though it really didn't set well with me, with my digestion or myself just knowing about the ethical side as well. So I think I found that really hard. I think when you're not living in alignment, it can show up as in different health conditions and in different ways. You can if you're if you're feeling unhappy and stressed in your own body it can manifest in things like tension headaches or um you know, anxiety or skin issues rashes this the body works in a really interesting variety of ways there's a fa- fascinating um uh book by gabor mate which i highly recommend um about this but it's it's i'll, I'll hopefully let you know link things in the show notes um mm-hmm. but i think that it's it's really interesting when I look back and I think, gosh, I have more energy in my almost mid-30s than I did when I was 21, which is staggering. Thank you so much for sharing that. So within that period when you were working and living with your girlfriends and struggling with lots of health issues, did you have any support? Did you have anyone who were also living with PCOS or anyone having health issues? Honestly, I didn't. And whilst I look back and I can see that I was tired, I thought that was normal back then. I can't. So I knew things were wrong with the acne and things, but I also didn't really know what it was like to feel truly energized or to feel not constipated or feel, you know, good in myself. I just didn't really know what that felt like, but I didn't know that I was that I could feel so different I just thought this is this is my this is how I feel and you get used to it if you feel rotten that's something you can actually get really used to you can feel like this is just what my body feels like and so um and with PCOS because it is so stigmatized and three and four people don't even know they have it and and that's you know why I eventually wrote the book with my mum living PCOS free to try and educate people about it and destigmatize it I didn't actually have any friends at the time. Now I know that I did have friends at PCOS, but back then I didn't know anyone else. I didn't actually know I had it. I didn't have a label to it because I just knew I had acne. I had excess hair growth. I had different issues. And even though my mum was a gynecologist, I didn't really want to go and talk to her in all this detail. When you're in your early 20s, you're just in a very different frame of mind, despite being very close to my mum. And so I was going to see people that were not always qualified or sometimes going to see naturopaths for my skin issues. And I was being put on expensive supplements, but it wasn't really helping. And then I would try things like a green juice cleanse and I would try and you know go to the gym and see if that would help. But because I never stuck with anything, I never had any consistency, I would never see really any results. And it does take a few months for things like your skin to really gen- in general improve or for hair growth to decrease or hair 
hair quality to improve in terms of, you know, um, scalp hair loss is also common in PCOS. So I, I never really stuck with anything for long enough. And it meant, meant that I did feel quite isolated and didn't really just thought this is life, you know, I'm going to be doing a job that I feel okay about, not super passionate about it. Um, at the time I was single, I hadn't dated anyone quite a while. I had great friends, which I'm so grateful for because my friendships with people, particularly other women, are something that I deeply value and cherish and have made me who I am today. And that got, got me a lot of, brought me a lot of strength. So I did have that support and I have a great family that um, I, I definitely found that I wasn't always that open as I am now. And I found that the more vulnerable I've been with people, the more that I've let people in, the stronger and more um, power, like the stronger the connections I've had with people and the more that our relationship has blossomed. Mm, thank you so much for sharing that and glad that you had great friends and very supportive family during that time. So I wonder if any of your close friends notice what you were going through during that time. No, because I would wear really thick makeup to cover up my skin. Mm. And, you know, I don't really want to go around telling people until even last year. I wouldn't go around telling people I'm struggling with excess hair or I'm losing my hair. It would just be very, people didn't talk about their health that much when they were 22. So it wasn't mm. something I was really discussing with friends. Um, and I, I definitely, I wasn't working as a health professional either then. So I had no no reason to go into so much detail. But um, definitely my mental health I would share a bit more about but I kind mm. of thought that those thoughts were normal I would feel this anxious all the time I didn't really know how to manage it and I often felt like I was in situations that didn't always make me feel good about myself I had some some people in my life that were definitely not great for me I wasn't the best at setting boundaries or and I think it's because I wasn't really always showing myself that much love I wasn't really giving myself that that time and attention and priority that I deserved. And it meant that I also didn't set great boundaries with other people in my life. So sometimes some people were not always that wonderful to me. Um, and I, you know, I, I do believe relationships and friendships go two ways. I think that there are some people that you can bring out the worst and they can bring out the worst in you. So it's important to, to, to be able to recognize that. It's a period of massive self-discovery, your twenties, you're changing so much. And when I realized I wasn't really changing that much and I was stagnating, that's when I decided I needed a change and it couldn't continue because I knew that my parents had moved away. They have always been people that have always pushed themselves in so many ways, even though they've been together since they were 18, they've always had very dynamic lives, both career wise and in their personal life. So that was probably inspirational to me and that I needed to push myself as well. And and try something new, not push yourself in the way that it's like push yourself to burn out, but more like, you know, trying to really un uncover what it is that you enjoy. My parents both love what they do as surgeons. So I always had that at the back of my mind that I also need to find what it is that I um, can excel at and what I also passionate about which is hard to do and it's hard to find both in a, in a job isn't it or in a, in a in a profession yes yes agreed agreed so how did you discover your passion in nutrition or was that later as I mentioned I got into kind of slightly eating a bit more healthily I got into wellness events I 
um, there were loads wellness stuff coming onto the scene that people like deliciously Ella started her blog. So I started to started to be more conscious. I started to, you know, would take in my lunch to work. Uh, I started to go to the gym. I started to do things occasionally. And I started to feel like, okay, I'm starting to feel a bit, bit, bit better, not completely different, but this is an interesting, you know, idea that I, I could actually I could actually eat in a way that nourishes me or um, and and I started to do a little bit of cooking here and there I just started to think a little bit more about my health probably from getting older I was you know only 25 but was old enough that I didn't want to feel like rubbish and hung over all the time and I happened to see an article in the Times of India when my cousin was visiting the UK she brought a copy of the paper with her and that article mentioned a company in India uh, which I then went on to work at and in a very weird way I, I literally tweeted to the CEO saying I'm in India for a wedding I would really love to meet you and it was a healthy food and beverage company a cold pressed juice company which was all the rage back in 2014 not so much now I'm not a huge fan of juices because they've had a lot of the fibers stripped out but back then I didn't really know much about nutrition I just thought this is definitely better than working for like you know a, a major alcohol company so um I I reached out to him and we clicked and I ended up work moving to Mumbai by myself at the age of 25 which when I look back I'm like wow that was quite a gutsy move because I don't speak Hindi and my grandparents who lived there were basically housebound they were very elderly I didn't have close friends there no friends there I didn't know anyone there um, and despite being from India and having gone to Mumbai a lot in my childhood it was very different going to my grandparents house in Mumbai when I was six to actually living an independent life as a single woman there so that was a catalyst for my whole life changing it completely transformed me as a person because I think until that point I was really stuck in this idea of what people thought I was I felt very helmed in by expectations of me, the idea that I should be doing certain things or, and you know, be a certain person. And sometimes even your closest friends and family, as much as they love you, they can have an idea, a set idea of who you are. And when you try and change, they can kind of go, you're not like that, you know, you're not that person. And it can actually hold you back. So I think the, the whole process of actually deciding to move, moving, and just taking that plunge. Obviously I was in a privileged position where I had a job there and I could financially support myself through that job because Mumbai is not a cheap city to live in. Definitely, you know, in terms of what I was making and the rent I was paying, it was really, it was, it's an expensive place to rent. I have to say that. So when I moved over there it, and I was working for this, you know, health and healthy F&B company, that's when I started to get really into nutrition because I was directly in touch with the product. I would go to the factory and see the vegetables being used in the juice. I would talk to customers every day. I would speak to people who had health issues like type two diabetes and other things. And I found that India changed, yeah, just changed my life in so many ways. Wow, wow. I mean, it's amazing how you tweeted the CEO of the company to reach out to him. Yeah, I am someone when I've decided to do something and I want something, I will go for it. And I I can be quite um quite good at kind of researching and 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 finding out about things. So I have to give myself credit for that. I think it was a bit of a bold move, but I'm really glad I did it. And it was a really intense few years because it was a startup 
it, I was the third employee and we were growing really fast, scaling across India and even internationally later. But it was a really, really intense couple of years. I would work six, seven days a week. You know, my first week there was fashion week where I didn't sleep and I was giving out the juices to models and it was all very glamorous and like trying to get kind of um, integrated marketing in. And it was a slightly different to my previous job in corporate PR because I was much more involved with like the branding, the product. I would even help design juice blends and things like that. So even though I didn't have that nutritional experience, I started to, to get really interested in it. And on the side of that, moving to India had changed a lot of things about my lifestyle. Firstly, I was working so much, I didn't have time to binge drink and party. So that really went out of the window. I basically stopped drinking alcohol for the most part. And I, so went from having alcohol maybe three or four times a week to once a month. I started to sleep longer because they have a slightly later starting day in Mumbai. So I found that I was sleeping eight hours a night, which was impossible in London. I was getting like six hours a night. I noticed that my skin started to clear up. My anxiety was lifting and the warm weather and the sunlight throughout the year, that was really helping me as well with my mood probably the extra vitamin D as well didn't hurt. And I was also eating a lot more home-cooked food. So I had with the other people that I shared a flat, a house with, a flat with, and we shared the help of um, a lady who came in and would, um, would cook for us, which, um, so she would cook like dal, different vegetables and everything. And it was really delicious. And so I started to eat just much less processed food. Firstly, processed food is, is, much it's growing really rapidly in India but it's nothing compared to the UK where over 70 up to 70 percent of our diet is ultra processed food so I wouldn't snack I wouldn't be eating healthy granola bars which I thought were really healthy you know protein mm. bars and things like that I wasn't getting that kind of thing so I was eating fresh fruit for breakfast and um Indian um, at breakfast tend to be quite savory and that was actually helpful for my blood sugar as well and I was just happened to naturally again revert to a whole food plant-based diet without having a label or thinking about it that was just the way that I was eating and oh my gosh um Risa it changed my life I genuinely felt night and day from where I was in London and I was like wow I you know I guess it's you know nutrition and lifestyle at that time I met my now husband and he was really sporty and into the gym so to kind of yeah get in with him I would also go to the gym and start lifting weights as you do sometimes when you're in a new relationship you know you try to do things together and actually that was a healthy habit so I found that that really helped me as well and I now know that lifting weights is so helpful for PCOS and for reducing insulin resistance. So a lot of things just slotted into place, to be honest. I'm making it sound like it happened overnight. It did take several months, but it, and I, and I did, I never like focusing on weight loss because I, I don't think that it's very empowering, but I, I did lose some weight that I was, some extra weight I was carrying and I didn't always, I think a lot of that was from a lot of the sugar and the alcohol that I was drinking. So um, without going on any kind of a diet or restrictive mode, I was actually focusing more on abundance for the first time in my life. I wasn't thinking about, I wasn't doing the juice cleansers firstly. I was having three really good meals a day, lots of fresh fruit. I was scared of fruit in London because I thought fruit was too full of sugar, which obviously is not true because fruit comes wrapped with fiber and with water, antioxidants, vitamins and minerals. And so that was a real catalyst for me thinking about what we how what we put on our plate um, what we put on our plates affects our mental and physical health. 
That is so interesting because when you said that you were really busy in this new job in India, I was like, oh, your lifestyle must have been like really crazy. But then you said, oh, you be you started eating whole food and fruits. I was and- in a routine, Rufa, and I think you know because I didn't have all my friends and family there, it did free up some time for me. So whilst I was working really long hours, I I wasn't kind of staying up super late at night to to go out or to drink alcohol and just so many things were were really beneficial about that sure probably working quite long hours didn't always help me but I think so many other pillars of lifestyle Mm -hmm. came into play and I did feel more relaxed there I don't know if it's the fact that I felt more connected to my culture to my roots my heritage which we know can play a huge role in the stress that immigrants and children of immigrants can face in foreign countries so that was probably also part of it and um falling in love that also can have Mm -hmm. an impact you know um initially there's the adrenaline the excitement but then also just uh, we know that relationships are such an important part of of lifestyle medicine and I think because I'd really it is so cheesy and I found it so long because I'd been single for a very long time before I met my um husband I found it very irritating when people said just work on yourself or you know when it's meant to be it will all fall into place or when you're not looking it's going to happen but I I just found that so irritating and smug (laughs) but then that actually happened to me because once I started to look at how I could nourish myself, how I could look after myself. I felt really good about myself. I felt like I've taken this huge uh, decision to move across the world and do something different. That gave me a lot of confidence. And for the first time in my life, I felt like I was building things from scratch just on my own. I was making a whole new friend circle. I felt really confident and comfortable in my own skin. And I genuinely believe that's why that's why I met the person I'm now with is that I was giving out that energy and um, that energy that you know when when things are good people are attracted to that when you're when you're in that good place it's not that you only need to be in a really good happy place to meet someone but obviously it can help if you are showing yourself that love and kindness and respecting yourself respecting your boundaries that is is definitely going to help in, in any relationship yes yes I agree definitely helps when you are you know having big smile and that full of energy really positive vibes it really helps when meeting people um so how, how many years were you in India so I was only there for two years two very okay. life-changing years and then at the, I really started to get this itch to go and study nutrition and I came back I did before I did that I had to apply for months I wrote to all the new universities in the UK asking to, to be you know, let in to do a master's in nutrition and food science and applying. And I knew that I didn't want to do the BSc route because it would take three years to do the degree. And I knew that when I put my mind to it, I, in terms of academics, I can achieve things, but I, so I didn't really want to go through that, that thing. I wanted to go straight to a master's, but a lot of the university said to me, look, you don't have the, uh, this at A-level or you don't have your BSc in science. We can't let you in. And so the University of Huddersfield, which is one I hadn't really heard of before, but it's up north, and they had a really good program in nutrition and food sciences. The lead of that program, she was really impressed with how persistent I was. I literally sent her four emails, um, called her. I was really like a dog with a bone. I would not let go because I had this dream and I wanted to make it happen. My partner at the time was, so he was incredibly supportive, even though it meant that we were going to end up doing long distance. And I 
moved to Huddersfield from Mumbai. Probably no one's ever done that before. Um, it's like, it's such a random place. It's in the north of England, for those of you who don't know, it's not far from Leeds. And it was straight after Brexit, so it had a slightly depressing vibe. And I didn't know anyone. And Risa, on my course, um, I lived the most introverted life. I basically studied all the time because I didn't have maths at A-level. So I had to learn statistics from scratch because I needed that for the, the data analysis. And I had to learn how to read scientific journals. And it was a baptism of fire. I went in being really confident, like, you know, I'm smart, I've got this. And it was the most humbling experience of my life to suddenly be like an art student chucked into the science world, having not studied for about five, no, about, yeah, six, seven years. And long you're out of education, the harder it is to get back into it. And, um, you know, it's a certain style with writing essays at university and everything, but I loved it. I really applied myself and I knew that that's what I wanted to do. Um, so yeah, that, that absolutely, absolutely um, cat was a catalyst for changing my career. Wow, that is a massive change from warm India to cold North UK. <laughs> I, um, I didn't have much of a social life. I used to go to the supermarket sometimes for mm-hmm. entertainment. Like I would walk around and read the food labels because I didn't have we didn't they didn't really have supermarkets like that in India. So I found like the big Tesco's quite fun just to walk around and see all the new products. And I would also go to the cinema on my own. And um, I it was at, at university where I really found out that I I had PCOS and um, what was suspected PCOS. I still didn't get the official diagnosis till even later, but we were doing a random finger, finger prick test and I came out as pre-diabetic and I was in shock because I was lean, I was working out, you know, four or five times a week. I was literally studying nutrition, but I'd started to include eggs and fish in my diet and having that higher amount of fat, it it was it did not work for me. And so when I'd switched to a whole food plant-based diet shortly after getting that result, I was able to really get my insulin resistance under control. And I have a very strong history of type two diabetes in my family. My father had type two diabetes. He was able to put it in remission using a whole food plant-based diet and exercise. And so I knew that I have to be extra careful with making healthy lifestyle a priority. I was really confused when I'd gone back to university because I was told in my first week that, you know, vegetarians and vegans are anemic they're really unwell and I didn't know that much about nutrition then it was only when I started to read around that and realize that a lot of the mainstream nutrition courses still have outdated information like this and do not have the latest research they don't have good quality studies they use the study of British Asians in the UK who were eating a really poor quality diet they were in economically deprived areas and they were having a lot of things like chapati and things like that but which are rich in phytates so they can inhibit iron absorption and they were drinking it with a lot of chai which also contains tannins which inhibit iron absorption so it's a really poor example of vegetarianism or veganism you know we know that eating whole grains fruit vegetables beans nuts and seeds are the healthiest foods on the planet the most longevity supporting as well but um at university so i had my own thing and it was it was tough because as a nutritionist sometimes you can feel that you you need to be healthy you need to have all of this and dealing with a chronic health issue can feel a bit isolating at times but it's really important to talk about it because everyone needs to know that everyone is a human being we all have our own health issues and the more we share that the more we can help each other and support each other to for optimal physical and mental well-being 
Yes, yes, so agreed. So during the university, did you meet anyone who's in that field already to get not some really. support? Yeah, not really. I, I try on online, I started to get interested in what was happening. Um, but I actually moved to Singapore shortly after my degree, which was the plan. I, I wanted my partner to move to Singapore and I wanted to live back in Asia for a few years. I really wasn't ready for the fun to end and to, for the adventure to end. So I lived in Singapore for a few for a couple of years as well. And Singapore was amazing, amazing food culture and scene. But I was working for a food tech organization there and um, did get involved with some of the nutrition and food science side. But it, it was only when I moved back to the UK about four years ago that I really had the idea that I'd start my own practice. And that's when I started to network. I started to reach out to even people from university. Like I knew one girl who became a nutritionist or people that I'd met online, I would ask friends of friends, do you know anyone in this space? And I would try to get copies of people. Honestly, um, it, it, all, it wasn't always the easiest because nutrition can be quite insular. It's not the most inclusive space. Um, it is mostly, uh, it's, it's a mostly white space. So if you're a woman of color in the nutrition and dietetic industry, it's, it's you're in the minority. I know in the US that I think it's 98% of dietitians are white. That's the latest study I read. So it's it's very, um, it can be quite disorienting at the time at times, especially if you do want to be giving people culturally appropriate advice around food. You know, not everyone is going to want to have a quinoa salad or a, a mm. sandwich for lunch. It's going to be, it's got to be appropriate and relevant to your culture. You can still enjoy a variety of different cultural foods, particularly as many of them have been plant-based for centuries, um, whether it's Japanese or Lebanese or Ethiopian or Indian, that you, know, you can find plant-based versions in all of those cuisines. So it was a slow process and it definitely took a while for me to get my confidence once to, to make this leap. Mm, yes. And I think I told you when I had a consultation with you that um, I discovered you through Instagram. So I used hashtag, I think it was either plant-based nutritionist or vegan nutritionist and I remember looking at the feed on Instagram and I think probably 99.9% were all white female nutritionists or dietitian promoting their services and then I saw your post it was a photo of yourself Rohini and I thought okay I'm gonna click this post because one, I love supporting women of color and being a woman of color myself, I wanted to get consultation by women of color who might be able to understand my culture a bit more or who understand the importance of, you know, my culture and wanting to eat food from my own home country. I'm really happy you found me on Instagram. I think Instagram can be an amazing tool to connect people, obviously the, the business um, owners to also grow their business as well. Yes, yes. So how, how long were you in Singapore for? For, for it, also, I was there for, for the long holidays between my degree, but I moved back to the UK in tw end of 2018. So it's been about four years now, actually. And it's it's been a really exciting few years. The pandemic really threw a curveball in there for a couple of years where this year has been 
really really amazing kind of things taking off and meeting again in person which has been fascinating but the pandemic also provided a different opportunity in some ways um it was a really distressing and it's not over you know it's a very distressing and anxiety filled time but for the first time ever people were talking about things like their metabolic markers their high blood pressure their insulin resistance and being more aware of these things so um, I got my diploma in lifestyle medicine in 2019 because I realized that nutrition is just one part of the puzzle. There were times where I hyper-focused on nutrition and was really on top of things from the dietary side, but I wasn't really looking at my sleep, my stress management, my relationships, and how you know how I, I was I was feeling in terms of um, moving my body. So I think that there's so many different pillars and lifestyle I think there's really the six that I usually hone in on that that's really helped me to look more broadly I think we're all holistic beings you know we all we all have so many different aspects to ourselves just it I was doing a disservice to my clients by only looking just at nutrition or food diary that needs to be far greater than that and so I do always start the session by asking people how they're feeling and really really trying to meet them where they're at understanding who they are and not going in with a preconceived idea of what they might need from me. Mm, Yes that's what I really loved about your consultation that you weren't just looking at nutrition but uh, every aspect of your life and looking at the person's whole life rather than just diet. So I would love for you to share a little bit more about what lifestyle medicine is. Lifestyle medicine is the fastest um, emerging discipline within medicine and essentially looks at evidence-based proven lifestyle techniques. It's not functional medicine, it's not alternative medicine, it's evidence-based approaches such as reducing alcohol use or exercising for at least 150 minutes moderate intensity exercise a day and it works hand in hand um, sorry 150 minutes a week it, it works hand in hand with modern scientific allopathic western medicine whatever you want to call it so it, it's basically saying if you we have a, a chapter in our book in living pcs free it's called you can't meditate away a broken leg and it's understanding that sometimes you need modern medicine if you break your leg or you need to have a large ovarian cyst removed or you need to have a hysterectomy you need modern medicine but if you've got things like um polycystic ovary syndrome or you have got um you know uh a headache there are things that you can use in your toolbox in terms of lifestyle that can help you with that or if you've got anxiety sure you may need medication but some of the most powerful tools for anxiety particularly mild anxiety we know can be exercising can be eating more colorful whole plant foods and it's understanding it's not one or the other they're both valid there should be no medication shaming but so often people are not given all the information all the education all the tools that are available to be able to help themselves and obviously understanding that there is so much that needs to change at a system level you know in the government in terms of supporting people um, so that we don't have the gross inequalities and quite frankly the crisis is we that we are seeing right now in terms of cost of living in terms of access to healthy foods access to education access to housing and um, making sure that you know the systems that we live in are not racist and discriminatory which can be so detrimental for people of color especially marginalized folk lgbt um uh q plus um people it's it can be a really it's it 
it, it can be really, really exhausting to live in this system. So um, I don't want to ever undermine that. But that's why I went into this. And I do think adding my voice to the other voices in that space has been, I, I think it's been both rewarding, challenging, and, and, and it's something that I, I care really deeply about. Mm. And how, how do you think your business changed after you combining lifestyle, medicine with your nutrition? So as I mentioned, yeah, I think it really helped it because I was able to look at people in a more holistic way. I felt more confident about making recommendations and knowing that I knew everything I could. I spent a lot of time doing free CPD events, researching, reading. My husband always jokes, he's like, you literally live, breathe and eat your subject. Um, you are so passionate about it. It's, it's something that I would do even if I was paid no money you know it really is obviously we all need we all need money to survive in society but um and I'm grateful that I can make a living through it but at the same time it's something that I thoroughly thoroughly enjoy and that's why it's sometimes hard to draw boundaries with work because in my free time I'll be listening to podcasts about this or I'll be chatting to people at a party about it and quite often people come to me and sometimes I have to say no please don't tell me what you ate yesterday I'm at a party <laughs> Um, but you know it's it's I generally really enjoy it and I think I think that having that it just gives me so much purpose every day and um, really has helped me to understand myself and other people much better realizing that everyone everyone we're all the same you know we we all and we all do have our own issues I'm surprised constantly at the number of people I meet where I think gosh so many people have different things they're dealing with and so much of the reason we don't all know that or we don't all share that is because of the stigma in society, the healthism, the ableism, the idea that we should all be perfectly functional and thriving and glowing and never have a single spot or, you know, um, issue. And that's just not how we are. Our bodies are perfectly imperfect, I like to say. Mm, yes, yes. And yeah, I, I can really feel your passion through your Instagram. I follow oh, your Instagram you. and check out your stories almost every day. And yeah, <laughs> I can really, sh- sh- you know, see your passion. And I know you do a lot of talks as well on yeah. online. And I think you've done in person recently as well with Deliciously Ella. Yeah, um, I collaborated with Ella's new book, How to Go Plant-Based. It's such a great book. The recipes are really amazing. And, and I think that it's it's great to collaborate with other people, like-minded people in the health and wellness space. I think it's a great way to grow. I think it's a great way to have mutual synergy, to get inspired. And you need a community. You know, you cannot do this entirely on your own. So I also joined a women's space near where I live, which has been transformative because it's given me a really great community. I get to meet other entrepreneurs, other interesting people on a daily basis. So I'm, yeah, I really enjoy that. Mm, yes. And you also collaborate with your mother, Dr. Nitu, quite a lot as well, which I love. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And I am curious to hear from you though do you find the nutrition or health and wellness industry quite competitive I know you mentioned meeting like-minded people and building community but how do you, do you feel there's competitive side there as well or it can be competitive sometimes mm-hmm. um do you know that there are things that I've seen or I've seen people drag each other down and I think I'm all for behaving with integrity and you know, pointing out where someone is not spreading the right information. I personally prefer to devote my platform to spreading positive messages. I rarely, you know, would 
call someone out or do that on a regular basis is not particularly my style I really prefer to I will do myth busting and things but I tend not to kind of yeah get into that that toxic stuff it's not really for me it really doesn't help me either um, manage my stress levels I think being online is hard enough as it is sometimes and um, so it can be competitive honestly I've always been quite focused on where I'm going and I have had periods where I've really slowed down in terms of growing my business because of other issues behind the scene or other things I'm dealing with and then times like at the moment where I'm really excited to grow I'm working with I just started working with a business mentor and you know just trying to feel really I'm really excited I've got a lot of energy to put into things but I also have times where I need to lean back and I need to just enjoy what's happening in the here and now I I've just learned to really show myself a lot of compassion and understanding and not compare myself I come from a family where both my mother and my sister are incredibly high-powered um, career professionals and very, very dynamic, extremely hardworking. And they're able to go at a pace that I don't think I ever can, but I don't compare myself to that because I would, it's just a very destructive mindset. And I think I'd rather just focus on the fact I'm a unique person, we all are, and I have my strengths, my weaknesses. I, I think I just want to be better than I was yesterday. I'm not really one for lots of cheesy mantras and things like that. Um, but there is a phrase I really love, which is you know, don't compare your insides to other people's outsides. Sometimes if you feel, you know, worthless or inadequate or unattractive or anything, and you're comparing yourself to the way other people present, you're you're always going to be disappointed and feel feel even worse. Whereas the work that I do has made me realize we all have we all have our own battles, our own struggles. Um, and I don't think, I think that realizing that, um, yeah, comparison is a real thief of joy. It's just not worth it. Yes. Yeah. I love that. That comparison is a thief of joy. It's really simple if you kind of just say it out loud, like don't compare with other people, but it can be quite a difficult thing to do as well. Oh, well, thank you so much, Rohini. Um, really enjoyed this conversation with you. I have final couple of questions for sure. you. So what's the best advice you have ever received? Mm, gosh, I have to think about this because I, I felt like I already just said it it really is like don't compare yourself to others it's like your own journey and um this phrase that I actually heard recently which was what's I think it comes from a Danish saying which is um what's for you won't pass you um and I think that I, I've really started to listen to that in life I think we're all on our own paths and thinking that you have to do x or reach this milestone by x date it's just not a very fruitful way to live. So that really, really resonated with me and that what's for you won't pass you. And it, it just means that you can stop stressing about that and enjoy the little things. Um, that's very important to me. Every single day I try to enjoy the little things and I, because I do get very overwhelmed as a person sometimes. So just dialing back and savoring the little things. It could be my cup of red bush tea in the morning or looking at the, my husband's plants or getting a really loving text from my friend. I just find that that's what fills my cup, to be honest. Mm, yes, that's a great advice. And what advice would you give to those who are trying to follow their passion but feeling challenged to do so? I think it would be to start 
dipping your toe in the water. You don't have to make a massive plunge like I did and move to India. And to be honest, even before that, I was already going to wellness events and going to book talks and different things and trying to open my mind outside of work. So I think having a side hustle, it could side hustle sounds really, I don't really like that phrase because it makes it sound like you have to be like burning out and doing everything on um, at the same time, but just starting to explore what that look could look like for you. So it doesn't feel as overwhelming and you don't feel that you're maybe giving up your salary or worrying about how you're going to pay your bills and just doing something that is gradual. So maybe starting a blog or if you want to become a photographer, doing a photography course on the side or just starting to take amateur pictures for friends or friends' businesses. That would be my, my advice to you. Don't wait until you have to like launch this business and then expecting on launch day, the clients are going to come rushing in. It's a slow and steady burn. So um, just, just dipping your toe in can make it a lot less overwhelming, definitely. And surrounding yourself or trying to meet people who are in a similar space to you is also really powerful. Mm, such a great advice. Did you personally start your business as a kind of passion project or did you go all in? Well, yeah, I mean, I'd started my Instagram a while before that. And um, then I was in a place where I could go more all in, but I still always had a side job as well. So mm. that I would not be super worried about the income side of things. But I think it's, yeah, um, it's, it's really important because it takes initially I was kind of frustrated oh why is things not just growing faster but you have to realize it, it does take time and um and and just don't don't beat yourself up about that because it will happen yes yes thank you thank you for great advice um so if people want to get in touch with you where would be the best place to find you well, first, yeah, I'd love if you got in touch with me. If you enjoyed this podcast or anything that resonated with you, obviously, please share that. It was quite a candid, open conversation because obviously I know you, Risa, but I think um, getting in touch with me via Instagram is always a lovely way to hear from from people. So that's at Rohini Bajekal and my website's rohinibajekal.com. And I also have um, my email address and things on there. So you can also get in touch if you want to write to me, but I would love to hear from you. And I think that whatever you're doing, the fact that you found this podcast probably means that you're you're thinking about how you can make the world a, you know, a better place. You can make a positive impact on other people's lives. And I think that that's really, really wonderful. And that's what we can do, continue to be in service to others and to the world. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for being so open as well. And I I know that many people will be inspired by your journey. So yeah, I'm so so glad we had this conversation. Thank you. Thanks, Marisa. Take care. I hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Rohini. Please go and follow Rohini on her Instagram and visit her website for recipes and daily tips on plant-based living. And also, I would love for you to check out her book, which she co-authored with her mother, Dr. Nitu Bajeko, Living Peace OS Free as well. I'll put all the links in the show notes. I hope you have a wonderful day and I'll see you in the next episode.